This one is actually iodine. Now. Is it iodine? What's it? Spotify? It's called Spotify, right? This one's Trachosite. On Spotify, if you want to, it's a great, great solo by Jeff Beck. There we go. You'll see River.
making my living by the sweat of my brow. I couldn't be crooked cause I don't know how. I've lived in a shack and cooked in a can, making a fortune for some other man. Every day he gets richer, I get poorer somehow, making a living by the sweat of my cotton till my back aches with pain i drill for oil in the cold freezing rain i've walked a million miles behind another man's plow making a living by the sweat of my brow i learned early in life that that was the rule a worker man's too. Every day he gets richer. I get poorer somehow. Making a living by the sweat of my brow. This is the B, and we're here at Mutiny Radio 27, 81 21st Street, corner of Florida, with the Labor and Love Show, the show where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, where you work, you're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's only a waste of time. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. 
Good morning, everybody. I hope you had a good week and good work. Working the morning shift with you from 10 to 12 every Saturday. And coming at you from Mutiny Radio, a true community arts center. Where we have art installations. We have comedy. As you well know, we have radio. And there's ever so much going on. Come on down to Mutiny and find your voice. Well, today, what have we got for you today on the labor beat? Well, let's say what we started out with. We started out with the great Van Morrison with his version of Sam Cooke's Bring It On Home to Me. Bring It On Home. Beautiful, soulful version of that song. By the way, I wonder how many of you have seen the movie uh, One Night in Miami? which features Sam Cooke. It's a play. Features Sam Cooke and what would have happened if Sam Cooke and Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown and Malcolm X had gotten together on the night after Cassius Clay, as he was still known then, had defeated Sonny Liston for the heavyweight title. And one of the things, of course, was that Malcolm X wanted Sam Cooke to write more topical music, more protest music, which, which he did. A Change is Gonna Come, one of his masterpieces, many masterpieces. After that, we had Phoebe Snow with her version of Dylan's It Takes a Lot to Laugh, It Takes a Train to Cry. And Hazel Dickens followed her. Hazel Dickens, By the Sweat of My Brow. One of her songs, Hazel sings, I'm a working woman and the future is mine. Hazel Dickens from West Virginia. Well, it's Labor and Love, and we're coming at you from mutiny, as I've told you. What do we got on for today? We've got our radio labor report, worldwide radio labor report, somewhat truncated this week because they're on a break. They call it a union break, okay? <laughs> They'll be back with us on September 8th, but in the meantime, we have a, a la radio labor report about the state of child labor in the world. Child labor. The ultimate indictment of capitalism, of globalism. If your economic system depends on kids as little as four or five years old doing labor every day instead of going to school, something is definitely, definitely, definitely wrong. Got a little poem about child labor. See if we can dig that up and read it today. Uh, okay, we got labor history in two minutes. Three or four little knots about labor history and what happened, where, and when. Remember, you're never alone if you stand up. Every moment of every day all around the world, the labor movement is active. Workers are standing up to get better 
working conditions be treated with dignity, joined together, etc., etc. Okay. Striking Alabama miners call out New York City hedge funds for bringing in scabs. This is what you call a, a totally vertical approach to demonstrations. These miners ended up in New York protesting the hedge funds that own the companies they work for. Modern twist. We've got Labor and Love Radio website, our, our labor beat. Striking Frito-Lay lay workers in Topeka, Kansas, and a little blurb about from one of the workers, a young worker who's coming into the union movement, just discovering about it. This point in the year, we celebrate one of labor's biggest victories in 1934, the San Francisco general strike, as well as a little documentary on the sit-down strikes of 1936 and 37. Okay. And then uh, our, our feature on Judy Berry. Judy Berry, the uh, activist who understood the connections instead of the contradictions between the environmental movement and the labor movement. And finally, how capitalism funds climate change with Francesca Fiorentini. That's our lineup for today. We'll also have some music from uh, Los Peludos, Charlie Morgan, and who knows who else. It'll all come up, come up a after you, coming at you on labor and love. Okay, let's start out with radio labor. Um, Child labor increases worldwide. According to this survey on radio labor, more than 160 million child laborers in the world. Uh, when I attended a workshop in Iowa that dealt uh, definitely with, uh, almost exclusively with child labor, that number was larger they were counting everyone under 18 who goes to work every day instead of going to school. And at that point, it was a quarter of a billion, 250 million children. This one claims 160, probably depending on the age group they choose. So here we go. Ana Signola, the Director of Education International. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labour. I'm Simri Ainsbrook. 
For the first time in 20 years, progress to end child labor in the world has stalled. In the past four years, the number of children in child labor has risen to 160 million worldwide. In that time, 8.4 million children have been added to the number of child laborers. Even worse, the number of children in hazardous work has risen to 79 million. Hazardous work is defined as work that is likely to harm the health and safety of a child. On June 12th, a week of action to eliminate child labor was started with the participation of unions all over the world. One of those labor organizations is Education International, the global union for teachers and other educators. Here is Dennis Signalo, the director of EI's African region. He mentions the UN's Sustainable Development Goal, the SDG, for eliminating child labor. Education International is the global federation of education unions, representing more than 32.5 million teachers and education support personnel in 178 countries. Since its inception 28 years ago, EI has made the eradication of child labor one of its primary objectives. We currently have ongoing programs in 13 countries, mostly in Africa. There is consensus that the most oh, effective okay. way to eradicate child labor is to ensure access to equitable, inclusive, quality education for all. Quality education can break the generational cycles of poverty. We know that a child who works today instead of being in school is likely to be tomorrow's unemployed adult. However, putting children in school is not enough. Putting children in overcrowded classrooms, in schools without toilets or water, or not enough trained teachers can result in school dropouts. What all children need is a quality education ensured by three key pillars. Number one, qualified teachers with decent salaries and working conditions. Number two, quality tools and resources. Number three, safe, healthy and supportive quality learning environments. To achieve this, governments should meet the internationally agreed benchmark of allocating at least 20% of the national budget or at least 6% of GDP to education. The COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated long-standing education challenges. Research evidence shows that very little learning has occurred during school closures, mainly because of the digital divide. Radio, TV and other initiatives have not reached the most marginalized children. In particular, rural children, those with disabilities, migrants and refugees. Girls have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic, and there is a real risk that many may not return to school due to pregnancy, early marriage or child labor. The prospect of achieving SDG 4 by 2030 is fast diminishing. EI has worked with its member organizations and partners to eradicate child labor. EI projects focus on making the school environment conducive to attract children to school and keep them there. Teacher unions engage education authorities, school leaders and teachers, parents, and the wider community in projects with a holistic approach that covers issues around quality teaching, student-centered approaches, safe schools, professional ethics, inclusive education, gender equality, 
and teacher status and working conditions. The millions of children still subjected to child labor instead of being in school are crying for help. We have the responsibility to make their lives better through inclusive quality education for all. Okay, that was a uh, leader of the <clears throat> African Director of Education International, Mr. Dennis Sanyolo. See what else we got here on on um Gender equality by 2030. What does international, the International Labor Union want? These are the priorities, okay? This is Catalina Pachier, chairperson of the Women's Workers Group at the International Labor Organization. Solidarity News on Radio Labor. Hello, I'm Mark Palacio. The annual conference of the UN's International Labor Organization opened in a virtual setting on June 7th with addresses from all the tripartite social partners, governments, employers, and workers. Catalene Pasquier, the chairperson of the workers group at the ILO, outlined labor's priorities. We have 10 key messages to this conference. One. Any human-centered recovery by the ILO must be rights-based and provide for jobs and recovery plans based on social dialogue. The human-centered approach must be firmly rooted in the concept that we must act on social justice to achieve peace and resilience. There cannot be a human-centered approach to recovery without a rights-based approach and the recognition of the key role of social dialogue based on the enabling rights of freedom of association and the right to collective bargaining. Two, precarious work will lead to a precarious recovery. A job-rich and inclusive recovery must pay special attention to young workers who are at risk of becoming a lost generation. Millions saw their job perspectives dwindle because of the pandemic, but also because of the proliferation of precarious jobs. A human-centered recovery must mean that we ensure that all workers, irrespective of their employment status, have adequate labor and social protection, including access to health care and paid sick leave, and benefit from income support in times of crisis. Three, the growing inequality in the world of work must be reversed. A human-centered recovery must be a recovery that reverses the dramatic inequalities that were exposed during the COVID-19 crisis. There was already a growing consensus before the pandemic that inequality had reached unsustainable levels. Four, without universal access to vaccination, the vaccination gap will further exacerbate existing economic and social inequalities and leave especially the global south behind. Many colleagues from all over the world have expressed the need to address the issue of vaccine equity with the utmost urgency. 
Inequality in excess is leading to a growing global vaccination gap, which will inevitably increase economic and social inequality in the world of work and globally between countries and regions, threatening to undo decades of progress to reduce poverty and achieving decent work for all. Five, safety and health are fundamental to decent work and to recovery. The COVID-19 crisis has shown that health and safety at work are not to be taken for granted. Six, any recovery policy or action must be gender inclusive. The pandemic has a feminine face. Women in essential sectors and jobs have sustained societies and economies often underpaid and overworked with excessive workloads and working hours running themselves high risks for their health and safety while juggling work with family and education duties. Seven, the key role of the public sector must be recognized and reinforced. If the pandemic has shown anything, it is that billions of taxpayers' money have been spent to support enterprises in order to survive and that the health and care sectors were sustaining economies and societies. In many countries, the crisis has exposed decades of austerity policies and cuts in public spending have weakened health and care systems and public services provision with detrimental effects for all. Eight, universal social protection will not come about without global solidarity and global resource mobilization. Ensuring comprehensive and adequate Social protection and social security is one of the core elements of the decent work agenda and a long-standing commitment of the ILO and its tripartite constituents. Nine, digitalization, telework and platform work require proper regulation to harness the opportunities and eliminate the risks involved. Number 10, a strong leadership role for the ILO. We strongly support a central role for the ILO in promoting policy coherence in the multilateral system to promote a human-centered and inclusive recovery from the COVID-19 crisis. You can follow the activities of the ILO conference at ILO.org. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Okay, Chairperson of the Workers Group at the International Labor Organization runs down what labor wants and needs for, quote-unquote, coming out of the pandemic. Although, I don't know. Both the uh, <clears throat> incidents of COVID deaths and new COVID cases are well over their seven-day averages. 50,000 people, new cases of COVID yesterday, where over the last week the average has been in the 30,000s. Is this coming? Are we coming out of something or are we just coming into another wave? The, uh, the uh, corporate people, the corporate the companies, I can't wait for us to get back into the quote-unquote normal world. They're trying to get us to buy cars, to join cruises, to, to book trips, 
to get out and do things and get back to normal. And normal should be the last thing we want to get back to. Uh, just, okay, like I say, we, at this time of year, we celebrate the San Francisco general strike as well as these strikes that went on, the sit-down strikes that went on in the Midwest in the middle 30s. So here's the San Francisco general strike. 1934 was a season of protest. New federal laws supported the right to join unions, and across America, a wave of strikes tested the New Deal's commitment to labor. In San Francisco, striking longshoremen had closed the port for two months. Violence erupted when police broke through strikers' picket lines. Two men were killed, more than 70 injured. Within hours, California's governor, Frank Merriam, declared a state of emergency. Forbearance with the striking longshoremen in San Francisco has passed the point of common sense and good citizenship. I have ordered the National Guard of California to move into San Francisco to safeguard life, to protect state property, and to preserve order. Labor leaders believed that Merriam had called out the Guard to break the strike. In support of the longshoremen, more than 100,000 union workers walked off their jobs calling for a citywide general strike. San Francisco shut down. People began to hoard food. The Roosevelt administration was now torn between supporting or condemning the general strike. New Deal administrator Hugh Johnson spoke for those who felt that labor had gone too far. You are living out here under the stress of a general strike. Now the right of dissatisfied men to strike against a recalcitrant employer is inviolate. But the general strike is quite another matter. That is a threat to the community. That is a menace to government. That is civil war. After four days, workers called off the general strike. Longshoremen and ship owners agreed to arbitration, and the city came back to life. For many, the strike was a warning of the power which the New Deal had placed in the hands of ordinary working people. And troops on the streets of San Francisco triggered fears that the country was on the brink of revolution. Moviegoers across America saw alarming reports of the general strike. Also, the police have organized the only mounted gas squad in the world. They've been ordered to round up the Reds. The radical agitators blamed for the virulence of the strike. They're out to comb the railroad yards, to rout out nests of communists hiding in empty boxcars. That gas will drive them into the open. Yep, there's a bunch of them now, dodging the stinging gas clouds.
Okay. Play one now on the first sit-down. These were days That's when history Michigan. changed its course. The sit-down strikes began on December 30th. They began with the attempt of GM to move the dies at Fisher Number 1 to Grand Rapids and elsewhere. They have no idea what it was like to, to have to work along a line in, in the shop. It was hard, hard work. And then you didn't get no overtime. If you worked it over, it was just your straight regular time. Of course, the women weren't allowed to work any overtime, but the men, they could work overtime, but wouldn't get no extra pay for it. It was hot in the summer, cold in the winter. Uh, you couldn't always uh, take time off. You need to go to the bathroom. And I remember in 1936, uh, before the strike, it was very, very hot. And down in uh, the Chevrolet, there were people who were dropping over because of the heat. And the other workers were told, just step over them until we can get them out of the way. They didn't, turn, they didn't slow down the line. They didn't stop it. it was, and they just dragged people away. It was terrible. And I think that's one thing that really helped bring on the strike. On January the 4th, the union submitted a complete list of grievances. We asked for a national General Motors agreement, for day rates and the abolition of the hated piecework system, for seniority, for recognition of the union, for control of speed-up, for grievance procedures, for the reinstatement of all the men who had been fired for union activity and for a 30-hour week. GM said no to everything. Widely separated workers, workers who didn't know each other, workers who didn't know each other's names, men who had been divided, weak and oppressed, came together in union and in solidarity. The union spokesman was John L. Lewis. Reporters from all over the world converged on Flint. Flint, the General Motors factories where the workers were sitting in, had become a stage which the workers of the world, wherever they were, were watching intently. Extra editions of papers came out on Flint developments in Paris, in Rome, in London, Calcutta, Buenos Aires. Well, the men stayed, but the women had to go out. We couldn't stay. I remember my dad calling home a few weeks into the strike and saying to my mother, Ida, we're having trouble keeping some of these young fellows in, in here. Uh, they're threatening, uh, their wives are threatening to divorce them or they want them home, and the guys want to get home, naturally. And uh, she said, Jay Green, if you come out, I will divorce you. I know there's one guy that he had five kids, and he'd, he'd get so nervous he'd pass out because he had five kids, and he didn't know he'd go get a job or not, get a job back. It was a bitter winter in January. Flint was the Valley Forge of the people who work in the plants. These were times when the summer soldiers fell away, and the winter soldiers stood up in a terrible trial. Armchair generals and colonels were demanding that the National Guardsmen go into those plants and shoot the sit-downers out. But for once, the National Guard truly maintained law and order. The strikers were disciplined, but the Flint City government was the General Motors government after all, and General Motors insisted, so the police tried to evict the sit-downers. This is not vandalism you see there. They are breaking these windows to let the air in and to let the tear gas out.
end of the Battle of Bull's Run, the attempt to end the sit-down strike in tear gas and blood, as if it were a kind of 13th century peasant's revolt, failed. There were casualties. We didn't know what was going to happen. We, and then, of course, when the National Guard was called out, we were scared to death that they were going to maybe shoot down the workers, the, the strikers. But it didn't. we had a good governor, and uh, he sent the National Guard in to protect them. We will work our way out of this strike peacefully and without injustice to anyone. And I am confident that after it's all over with, there will be a better understanding between employer and employee. And better still, I hope that conditions will be improved under which men and women labor and live. The sit-down strikes reached their climax at the beginning of February. Governor Murphy had been in office just one month. General Motors had tried everything, spies and intimidation. GM had taken his case to court before a judge who was a GM stockholder. The corporation had applied pressure on Governor Murphy. It had tried evicting the strikers by force. But not for a moment did the or the discipline of the strikers waver. Their wives and their children came to the factory windows. The troops, there to maintain order, not to shoot strikers, bivouacked in the streets. The strike came to an end on February 11, 1937. Governor Murphy announced the settlement terms. For a period of six months, General Motors would not, without the governor's permission, deal with any employee spokesman except the UAW and the 17 plants that had been struck. In the other plants, the union would be dealt with as representatives for its own members. No discrimination against union people. All strikers would be rehired. Union members could talk about the union during lunch and rest periods. All court proceedings against the union and its members to end. The company would begin to negotiate with the union in good faith. It was a magnificent and historic victory. Well, it made a company give us a better feeling. <laughs> and for, for black people, uh, we got jobs that we didn't get before because most of the time we were just sweeping the floor. But after that, we all went on machines and everything. People need a union. That's the main thing because you can't survive too long without a union and, and really live a decent life. Kids just don't have any idea what it was like. But I'm afraid someday they're going to find out. The people all have a union, hang on to it, because you can't be without one. If you don't, you get somebody there <laughs> whipping you, <laughs> make you work, you know, you know, no representation of how it is. No representation, they, they take advantage of you. General Motors workers in Flint get the news of the settlement, and the celebration is spontaneous. The flag tells you how the people feel. They have just won back one of their constitutional rights. Home is the sit-down. After the long, patient struggle in the factory, the men go home. What these people are celebrating deep into the night is the end of an impossible and unbearable subjection. Unions have brought wage earners so much security and freedom and dignity that it isn't easy even to recall the terrible oppression that came to an end with the winning of the sit-down strike. Well, it made a middle class. We could have decent food. We could live in a decent place. Uh, we could wear decent clothes. We could relax, which we just couldn't before. We were always on edge, it seemed, that uh, if you're hungry sometimes, that's not good. 
and I remember being hungry sometimes. People were able to buy homes, uh, hold their heads high, have self-respect, which we didn't always have before. Okay, a couple of uh, backward looks, a taste of labor history. We'll have some more in a little while. <clears throat> Highlighting the San Francisco general strike, which went on for 83 days. Highlighting the sit-downs in Flint, Michigan, which went on from 1936 into 1937. These are times when workers because of dire circumstances, because most of them didn't have any other choice, got together and flexed their muscles and worked together <clears throat> to make their lives better. Hopefully we hadn't forgotten how to do that. Uh, let's listen to some music here. The Princesa Esclava. Simplemente mujer. Hey guys, Amanda Rose here from Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm here with the Blast Portable. We'll cool your house in minutes. Let me show you how it works. So it's really simple. Just pull off this lid, grab yourself a nice glass of cold water, pour we it in. We don't want to hear this. Estoy pidiendo joyas, ni pieles, ni palacios, ni quiero que me alfombren las calles al pasar. Tampoco es que yo exija ni tierras, ni riquezas, más que estar recibiendo. Tan solo estoy pidiendo sentirme bien amada, que me amen como yo amo, con fuego y compasión. Ojalá comprendiera que estoy desesperada buscando quien se entregue. Yo. Mi princesa ni esclava, simplemente mujer Mi dueña de la noche, mi dueña de la noche 
I've called home for 30 years is a rural community that's known fire and flood and it's mostly clustered around a bay now the bay used to run a little bit further south but it's silted up pretty much in most of its pasture land so running along the south side of it is a levee with a road on it. And on the south side of the levee road is the home of a family called Love. And every once in a while the the water tries to reclaim that part of the bay and runs over the levee and floods. And even though over the years the Love family has put their house up on posts. Sometimes they still have to jump on a rowboat and row away to dry terra firma. Regrettably also, the, the rising waters also seem to be a little bit too much like the rising costs of housing. Land and homes have gotten to a point where most people can't afford them. And unfortunately, I've had to watch uh, too many of my friends move away from the area because they couldn't afford to buy a home or rent anymore. So this is the Levy Road song. Oh, the water on the Levy Road, it rode. Oh, the water on the levee road, it rose. Oh, the water on the levee road, it rose. It rose so high it put a tear in my eye. Oh, the water on the levee road, it rose. Inch by inch, the water rises slow. Inch by inch, the water rises slow. Inch by inch it rises slow. Me and my family gotta pack up and go. The water on a levee road it rode. The water rose and then it came in waves. The water rose and then it came in waves. The water rose and then it came in waves. So much came that the levee gave. Oh, the water on the levee road, it rode.
The water rises like the price of land. The water rises like the price of land. We cannot afford to rent or buy. We gotta tell all our neighbors goodbye. Oh, the water on the levee road, it rose. Water rose from below and the water fell from above. Water rose from below and water fell from above. Water rose from below, water fell from above. Could not drown out the house of love. Oh, the water on the levee road, it rose. The water rises like the price of land. The water rises like the price of land. We cannot afford to rent or buy. We're gonna have to tell our neighbors goodbye. Oh, the water on the levee road, it rose. Okay, Brother Charlie Morgan there with... Uh, Water on the Levee Rose. We got one more to play here. One of the first ladies of the blues.
set featured Beverly Guitar Watson on the occasion of her 78th birthday singing the blues classic Rock Me Baby like also like Lee Michaels version of that and of course the master B.B. King But that was Beverly Guitar Watson at her on the occasion of her 78th birthday singing Rock Me Baby. Before that, we had Jenny Rivera, a personal favorite of mine, favorite of mine singing about Ni Princesa Ni Esclava. I'm not a princess, I'm not a slave, I'm simply a woman. And Brother Charlie Morgan with his whiskey blues, <laughs> slide blues about the rising waters and the rising home prices in his hometown, which happens to be Point Reyes, California. Okay. What do we got to play? We got plenty of things to talk about. Here's how about the labor beat? And here's one. Iceland tried a shortened work week and it was an overwhelming success. Last year shattered the myth of people needing to trek into the office every single day. Post-pandemic future of work could include various models of shorter work weeks and flexible schedules. This is on uh, Portside. Back to Portside, huh? As remote work became a roaring success, for both companies and employees during the pandemic. It opened our eyes to new possibilities, how we can lead a better work-life balance. We now know that it's not necessary to be stuck in an office building over eight hours a day, five days a week. Growing conversations are happening about four-day work weeks and hybrid models in which you'd be in the office two or three days a week and home for the rest of the time. Staggered flexible hours and abbreviated workdays are also being tried out. A recent study of 2,500 workers in Iceland, more than 1% of the workforce, was conducted to see if shortened workdays lead to more productivity and a happier workforce. Well, I think it's obvious that 
this is a parenthetical uh, comment. I think it's obvious that it leads to a happier workforce. That ugly phrase, wage slavery, of having to be somewhere every day in and out of the week. Eight hours, a third of your life. Anyway, the trials were made across an array of different types of workplaces. Iceland offers generous social services for its citizens, a strong health care system, income equality, and paid parental leave for mothers and fathers. Iceland differs from its neighbors as the country has longer working hours. Between 2015 and 2019, Iceland conducted, conducted test cases of a 35 to 36 hour work week without any calls for a commensurate cut in pay. Here are the highlights of the study. Trials were an overwhelming success and since completion, 86% of the country's workforce are now working shorter hours or gaining the right to shorten their hours. Productivity and service provision remain the same or improved across the majority of trial workplaces. Worker well-being dramatically increased across a range of indicators from perceived stress and burnout to health and work-life balance. The trials also remain revenue-neutral for both the city council and the government, providing a crucial and so far largely overlooked blueprint of how future trials might be organized in other countries of the world. Nearly 90% of the working population now have reduced hours and other or other accommodations. Worker stress and burnout lessened. There was an independent Improvement in work-life balance. The concept of a four-day work week has also gained some support in the United Kingdom. About 45 members of Parliament called for a commission to examine doing something similar to Iceland. Spain previously announced that it would experiment with a trial four-day work week. Spanish government agreed to a 32-hour work week over three years without cutting workers' compensation. Washington Post reported that the pilot program is intended to reduce workers' risk by having the government make up the difference in salary when workers switch to a four-day schedule. We'll invest around $60 million toward the cost of the pilot program anticipated that around 200 companies, 3,000 to 6,000 workers, will be involved with the project. Microsoft Japan ran a trial of a shorter workweek program. The company gave its 2,300 employees the opportunity to choose a variety of flexible work sites 
according to the circumstances of work and life. The results of the experiment were extremely positive, indicative that workers were both happier and 40% more productive. So check it out. Articles by Jack Kelly on the Port Side website. That's number one on our labor beat. Now we're, we're dealing with something right now. Over, the headline says over 36 million private sector workers are subject to non-compete agreements. Signing non-compete agreements hurts workers' wages. How employers can pay them less because workers with non-competes have limited outside options. They cannot work for or start a related business within a certain period of leaving their job. Okay, so this is something, that, this is a thing that was pioneered or, or given a big uh, boost by Steve Jobs, none other than Steve Jobs, the darling of the new capitalists. Jobs went around to, what was happening was workers were leaving for example, Apple Computer and going to another company where they had a better deal. Jobs went around and negotiated agreements with other capitalists to agree that they wouldn't hire each other's workers. So what a non-compete is is when you go to work, you sign a contract that says you can't get another job in a related business for a certain period. More than a quarter of private sector workers are subject to non-compete agreements. Non-compete agreements are harmful to wages and competition. See, this is the big, here we come into the big contradiction in capitalism as it's applied, the argument is, oh, more companies that, you know, that are competing for your labor, you know, the higher your wages get. The more, co the more companies that are competing for market share means that the consumer will get a better deal because they're all going to try to beat each other, not... Non-compete clauses make it easier for employers to control and mistreat their workers. Non-compete clauses for lower-level workers are another exercise of corporate power against workers, says Dan Quinn. They do depress wages. Why wouldn't a corporation do this if they could? Okay, another form of corporate tyranny. This is on the uh, Economic Policy Institute, which I would encourage you to follow. 
Okay. Um, Non-compete agreements. Okay, now I'm looking for... Facebook. And... This is a, a look at EPI, Economic Policy Institute, looks at the penalties that companies are assessed for breaking uh, different laws. A child labor violation, Fair Labor Standards Act. Maximum penalty for violation, 13227 dollars. A maximum penalty of two million one hundred and sixty six thousand two hundred and seventy nine dollars for insider trading. So a child labor violation is well under 1% of an insider trading. Willful child labor violation, 120,000, 5.5% of the maximum worker trader, insider trading penalty. Repeated or willful minimum wage or overtime violation, that'll cost you $2,074. Less than one-tenth of one percent of the maximum insider trading. Homeworker violation, a thousand and eighty-four bucks. One-tenth of one percent of the insider trading penalty. Willful OSHA violation, $136,000. All other OSHA violations, $13,000. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like you'd go ahead and break the law and pay the fine. You know, why, why wouldn't you? I don't know. And a little, uh, some reading about our space traveler, Jeff Bezos. In 2009, he was worth six, worth $6.8 billion. 2021, $188 billion. So he's, his worth is, uh, what, 31, 32 times. Mark Zuckerberg was worth $2 billion. In 2009, today he's worth 117 billion. The U.S. minimum wage in 2009 was 7.25, $7.25. In 2021, it's still $7.25. <laughs> Three words: tax the rich. And I want to. Uh, 
before we head on to other things here, I want to recommend very highly a book about the Alamo, a new book about the Alamo, which is uh, both an old church and a battle in the uh, in the war for called the War of Texas Independence. It's called Forget the Alamo. Davy Crockett surrendered. Jim Bowie, a slave trader. Sam Houston, a coke addict. Very heavily researched and well-written book that goes back over all the other treatments of the Alamo, the mean ones, the Alamo. Well, we'll get into that right now. Hold other can of worms, so to speak. All right. Um, how about the chicks? Natalie Means.
I'm not sure I could They say Time heals everything But I'm still March to my own drum, march, march to my own drum. Hey, hey, I'm an army of one. Oh, I'm an army of one. March, march to my own drum, march, march to my own drum. Hey, hey, I'm an army of one. Oh, I'm an army of one. Brand is back in here because you don't like Mondays. Underpaid teacher, police in the hallways. Print yourself a weapon and take it to the to my own.
Okay, that last uh, that last set. Free Nelson Mandela from 1994. I'll never forget hearing that song on the radio and an announcer came over and said, the Prime Minister of South Africa is poised to do just that. Free Nelson Mandela. What a wonderful moment for freedom-loving people, progressive people all over the world. Before that, we had a couple of Songs from the Chicks, their classic March March with the footnote. If your voice held no power, they wouldn't try to silence you, would they? <laughs> Absolutely. The uh, song is accompanied by a whole set of visuals naming all the people who have been killed by police uh, over the last several years over the last hundreds of years and before that they had we had their classic uh, not ready to make nice Natalie means re reacting to the reaction to the comment she made against the Viet the uh, Iraqi war in 2003 when she was ordered by a lot of conservative country and Western people to shut up and sing. She said she's not ready to make nice. Right now, I've got on the line um, our campus correspondence, Vita in Yemen. How are you guys? Good morning. We're doing well. Oh, okay. Um, it's nice to talk to you as always. And I uh, hope you're having a good day. I'd like to get your reactions to something uh, which we've, I think we already talked about and dealt with on the Labor and Love Live show. What would it take for you to boycott a certain store or a certain company? In my case, you know, <clears throat> I don't go near Walmart and uh, I try not to use uh, Amazon, <laughs> although that's difficult. And since the uh, CEO of uh, Whole Foods said that he didn't think workers needed health plans, I haven't gone into one of those. I could go on. But what about you guys? What would it take for a company to do or say or what policy so that you wouldn't shop there or deal with them? Um, I think especially for me, it would be like things about immigration or about maybe like Islamophobia, freedom of expression, freedom of religion, you know, like or any racist tendencies that someone may have or promote. And then like their company, like I don't want to support that. I think also unions, of course, are a big deal. Um, but I don't know if I would specifically not go somewhere just because they don't have a union. But I think I would try and go somewhere if i knew they had a union i would try to go there more often uh -huh. um but yeah definitely racism definitely immigration definitely uh you know gay rights lgbtqia also like certain things like that i feel like by this point we need to be more staunch about it because these people certain people are using money to fund their interests that are limiting Americans' freedom, you know. So 
I don't support anything that limits our freedom as citizens, as, I mean, I'm saying America because it's a country we're part of, we're in. So as American citizens, I don't think we should be voting for or paying or supporting anything that limits freedoms like that. Oh, okay. Well spoken. How about you, Yaman? So in my case, it would be very similar. I can go into a little more detail just uh, so we can talk about what kind of things. For example, I'll give an example. Um, and it, obviously it goes it goes to say that if you're racist, if you're against freedom, if you're being a B-word in any way, um, I don't want to shop or give any your business or tell anybody about your business. But also there's other things that we don't think about, like the medicines that we take and the food that we eat. You never expect that people are cutting all types of corners and you would never expect an apple to be more harmful to you than it actually is. Uh, healthy, um, and uh, you would never expect your cereal to be so contaminated that you're not allowed to, as of 2019, you're not allowed to feed your kids from it anymore, or, or any children from it anymore, and you have to buy them children's things because they're so high, highly contaminated in the glyphosate chemical, which comes from Monsanto, which touches every company we get our food from in the United States. So it's pretty scary. I'm going to talk about these kind of companies that are in the shadows, like Purdue Pharma, for example, that hooked us, hooked most of our, a lot of our country up on the hydrocodone, or the painkillers. Um, God knows why, whether it's because they wanted to do backdoor deals for organ trafficking or whatever it was. But nevertheless, they did it. We're screwed. We're not talking about how we're screwed anymore. Johnson & Johnson, for example, had to ban their baby powder because it gave cancer to kids. They had to yeah. talk about how to give, you know, cervical cancer and all that stuff. And so, like, now you're telling me one of the biggest wellness companies in the world I can't trust my kids with. So mm-hmm. let me just trust myself with them and inject the one-stop one stop shop vaccination into my body that's supposed to work forever, right? So those are the kind of things that I wouldn't do. Like, it's kind of hard to identify, but you have to look out or else our health can be in danger. And it's it's like that bad. It's like looking outside of your window like Malcolm X with his gun. Who's going to come get me? <laughs> it might be called paranoia. But they don't have to put one bullet through your head. They'll put thousands of needles in your body and they'll kill you from the inside. Um, if you're not careful about what you're buying, what you're doing, and who you're dealing with, because it's the wild, wild west here. Sure is. It sure is. Talk about, uh, you know, consumer rights and needing to... Uh, I remember my brother telling me that uh, someone had written an article about how one of the kids' cereals that if you ate the box, you'd get more nutrition than if you ate the cereal. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, thank you very much. Um, it's obvious you guys have thought about this. I only wish that uh, more consumers were as conscious of it as you are. Uh, generally speaking, are people in your generation thinking about this stuff or not? Yes, I think so. Generally, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, our class, we're surprised. Our classes are, like, filled with people that are aware. Like, Vita was telling me the other day that her, her people in her class are actually pretty smart and knowledgeable, like, about, like, certain things you don't really expect. And a lot of them are younger than me. Yeah, and they're, yeah. Well, they're young. So, the, you know, I think the younger generation is, is doing a good job using the Internet and staying aware. Oh, well, that's that's uh, good news. Um, 
Okay, well, I want to thank you for phoning in and uh, giving us your opinion. And uh, all I can say is I definitely agree with you. And uh, hopefully a lot of other people are thinking about this stuff because it is a case of being poisoned slowly over a lifetime, you know, instead of, like you say, being shot in the head. That's right. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thanks for uh, phoning in. Hopefully, we'll see one another uh, soon. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Okay. Okay. That was Yemen and uh, Vita calling us from uh, UC Davis with their opinion about. My question was, is this something maybe it's, It'd be good for all of us to consider what would it take for a company or a store to make you stop shopping there and make you stop giving your custom to this or that company. Uh, something, you know, maybe we, we need to think about because we need to have limits. We can't just go and buy whatever's cheapest or whatever is most available or whatever in the case of cereals, for example, or food, what's sweetest? <sighs> because uh, that's a slow way to death. But I want to listen to one more thing before we go. This is a guy who uh, calls in and he's talking about union people. Went into a bar and heard these union people celebrating and uh, made him think about his future. Send us a voice message and we might play your message on the show. Let's see if we have any messages. Hello, my name's Mark. I'm from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, I use he, him pronouns, and right now I work a couple of different part-time jobs saving up money for grad school. I want to talk about just a fun little piece of joy I had in my life the other week. I was out with some friends at a bar, and we were thinking about what we were going to do for my birthday, which was coming up. And we wanted to go out to drink, and we didn't know, you know, could we do a theme, you know, some sort of make it a theme night. And uh, there was a bunch of people at the bar who were all wearing shirts from the Boilermakers Union. They worked at the the shipyard that was about an hour away from us. They were being real rowdy and having a real good time. And it struck me, it's like, oh, that's it. That's the energy I want for my birthday. So me and my twin sister uh, went out to drinks with a couple of our friends, and the theme was Union Strong, and it was really nice. We all, I shared all of my union pins, and a bunch of people had union shirts on, and we had a real good time. We sang Solidarity Forever while we were walking between bars. And I just wanted to let all the union folks out there know that there's a, a young generation out here who are really proud to to get really invested in labor politics and you know we're coming up and we're ready to fight with you um i'm not in a union yet but i'm going to teacher education starting in august and i can't wait to sign that union card so anyway solidarity with everyone hope you have joy in this next week thanks for your message okay there we go there's some good news huh the young generation is ready to Step up. <laughs> I did neglect. I was going to talk about Bastille Day. I was going to talk about Jovita Ivar. I was going to talk about several other things. But 
save that till next week. Uh, last Wednesday, I believe, was Bastille Day, the day when the French people, the people of Paris, the working people, the sans-culottes, rose up and stormed the Bastille, which for hundreds of years had been a prison where political prisoners were kept. There were only a few prisoners inside, but it was the act that counted because that kind of kicked off the French Revolution, which was the first in Europe, first European revolution to overthrow monarchy and overthrow the old order. Uh, glorious day, glorious day for all freedom-loving people. And we'll talk a little about the Marseillaise, the French national anthem. But that's all for next week. Right now, I want you to stay tuned for Scott Walker and his show, Flat Black Plastic, here on Mutiny Radio. And remember, if one person gets a dollar... you don't have a seat at the table, a negotiating table that is, where you work, you're on the menu. Never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. This is the B signing off. Have a good week and good work. Tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? 
Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> listen to my jokes and they'll even say nice things dude before they tell you how to get improvements no way what is this dang nabbit thing called it's joke workshop joke workshop yep every monday 6 to 8 p.m on the mutant radius so you're saying i could tell my jokes every monday from 6 to 8 that's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Let's Spiegelman. We're hosts of... Follow us on podcast by with our acronym L W A F L M O Y T. We watch a full length movie on YouTube with you, and you listen to the podcast and watch the movie at the same time. Yeah, L W A F L M O Y T. Yeah, That's every Sunday, two p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or if you're Carl, five percent. Yeah, right. I'm so lazy. Three hours later, I finally get to the show. 5 p.m. Let's hear the theme song. Oh, Uh, Uh, let's watch full-length movies. Let's do a full-minute promo. Oh, never mind. Bye. See you you next month. I was just leaving the theater. (laughs) Convertible. 1969 gold Cadillac with a white interior. Oh. Up here. And I started to do some thinking. Around in it on the freeway, and I'm having a really, really good time. Flat black glass. Smoking big spliffs and cruising. Saturday, noon to two. On the freeway. Good feeling. I am I'll a total fan of the Lori's Jesus. voice is absolutely right. I am petty, rebellious, and adolescent. 
and I will cut the like Henry, yeah, Charlie here, yeah. I have a report here, Henry, from your, uh, from your chief nurse, Major O'Houlihan. She makes some accusations, Henry. I, I find pretty hard to believe. Uh, the dude minds, man. Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. Invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. insatiable appetite for all things in life who scream at nothing and everything at the same time who dance till sunup who cause the sun to set again with irreverent bow who rival the moon with gravitational force who leave rooms feeling empty and earthquake struck who don't give a fuck who make who do who dream out loud and laugh like maniacs who draw shock and doll on faces graced with watching who create from the soul of an orgasm who swagger even alone in the shower who fight with passion and love with passion and our passion 
who catapult over cliffs in the name of revolution, who would rather die than fall in line to conform, who constantly challenge the norm, who greet each and every day as if just born. I say to you, I know your greatness, the way a suicide jumper knows weightless just before the impact, and in fact, I know it best when I say to you, I love you. Hello there, my friends out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Mufi's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Bamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission, where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off for... <laughs> it's indubitious. And if you can't make it to Rooney Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer cottage on the mountain ridge for the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcast. But I and he told me to sit anywhere. But I looked around. Cheers. 